dogs make the best companions for humans, this podcast aims to help make humans better companions for their dogs. Welcome to the Baru Podcast, a modern lifestyle podcast for dogs and their people. I'm your host, Charlotte Bain. I've been caring for other people's dogs for more than 15 years. And while I've learned a lot in my career, I definitely don't know it all. So I've collected an ever-evolving roster of amazing dog people, and I learn new things from them all the time. Hi, you guys. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Baru Podcast. In continuing my conversations around end of life and pet loss, in this episode, I chat with Christiana Saya of Lap of Love. Christiana is a certified grief coach who helps hold space for pet parents who are grieving the loss of their beloved pets. We discuss why pet grief has been historically considered a disenfranchised grief and often dismissed or not even discussed. We chat about the anger and the guilt often associated with pet loss and how to identify if what you're feeling is anticipatory grief. We also discuss the importance of self-compassion during the grieving process. So let's listen. Well, thank you so much for jumping on this chat with me. Um, as I mentioned, I'm doing a few episodes on pet loss and and pet grief because um, it's something that I don't have a lot of firsthand experience with. I experienced a loss of my pet growing up, um, but not the I haven't experienced a loss of a pet as an adult. And my own guy is almost 15. Well, he's 15 now. Um, he's doing great. But I find myself getting a little anxious, obviously. He's slowing down and I see the signs of aging. And I, I do understand that he's doing great for 15, but it does each day brings a little bit of anxiety. Um, and I also care mm-hmm. for so many other dogs. And they're all like over 10 suddenly and all doing oh, well. Gosh. But I know like almost all of my clients are over 10 years old. So I thought it would be really great to kind of explore the topic of grief around around the loss of our pets. Um, and I know it's not a subject that a lot of people, I don't, I think they're starting to talk about it more as we just talk about pet guardianship and, and pet parenthood and all the things more than we used to. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not something that gets a lot of credit. I guess is for lack of a better yeah. term. Um, so first of all, you are a professional grief coach with Lap mm-hmm. of Love, um, a fantastic company that I just had Nick, uh, Doctor Nick, on as I mentioned, yeah. who we love, and he talked to me about the really hard subject of pet euthanasia and hospice care. Um, so I'd love to know just a, kind of a little bit about what it is that, well, what makes you different from a grief counselor or a grief therapist? And also a little bit about your history. What got you into this work and what inspired you or what was the calling for you to do this wonderful work that you do with Lap of Love? Yeah. So first of all, I'm so glad that you're you're just, you're creating the space to have this discussion because I think that in general, society doesn't really um, hold space for grief, but especially pet loss. So I'm just really grateful right. that you are doing this. Um, 
As far as a little bit about me, I I experienced my own grief um, uh, quite a while ago, and it was really impactful in my life. Fortunately, I was going to a university, getting my undergrad, and I had the resources and the support, and that has always really stuck with me. And as I have kind of gone through life and experienced grief uh, a little bit more, I've recognized that this is just something that we need to create space for and that we can't fix. There's no fixing grief. There's just holding space and and, um, allowing people to feel what they need to feel and being there with them in it. And so that led me to lap of love after getting um, my certification in grief counseling. And as an end of life doula, I um, discovered lap of love and worked with them, just making those appointments for euthanasia um, and taking those calls for about a year. And then they created the pet loss support team because we realized that there's just this need that people need that yeah. support. And so um, we here as grief coaches are, are really here to walk them through that process. Right. Can I ask you, yeah. you just mentioned you're an end of life doula. I, I assume that's for yeah. humans. Um, mm-hmm. what is, can you briefly tell us what that entails? Because I've, I've only heard that term very, um, only a few times, but I'm assuming it's like a birth doula, but end of life, but a little bit about what that is, if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's very much like a, a birth doula, but on the opposite end of life. Um, it's really sitting vigil and being the emotional support for a family as they go through this anticipatory grief and, and end of life care and helping them do things, you know, such as legacy work and, and bringing those things up and helping them, you know, just have some respite and, and supporting the family as much as it is supporting the person who is dying. And, and really just sitting vigil and, and you know, n- not being one of those people who are, you know, afraid to say the wrong thing or, you know, don't right. want to, you know, deal with that topic and just being like right. there with them. Yeah. Right. That's so fantastic. What amazing work that you do. So when you are dealing with, when you are holding space, I guess, um, for people who are dealing with the loss of a beloved pet, um, what are the, some of the biggest reasons that people seek your help? Some of the common things that yeah. people need, need to need you for, need to share with you. Yeah. So I'll answer that. And then I'll kind of include my answer of the difference between a, a grief coach and a, a licensed mental health counselor as well. Perfect. So, um, That's great. as grief coaches, we really are here to, walk through this journey, hold the hand of people who have lost uh, a pet and, um, you know, kind of just validate what they're going through, help them have a deeper understanding of the grief experience and maybe help them um, and suggest some coping techniques or coping mechanisms to help get through the grief and honor their loved one. Um, Because pet loss is what is called a disenfranchised grief. And that is a grief that goes unacknowledged, unvalidated by society, which anybody who's lost a pet can probably say that they've had this experience of somebody saying, it was just a pet, just get another one. Are you over it by now? Right. Right. 
Um, but our pets are our closest family members, right? They, they yeah. see our most authentic selves. They're forgiving. They love us every day, but they like us every day, which even our most beloved humans, yeah. we don't always get that, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. So, so it's just a, a gift and it's a profound love. So there's going to be that profound grief. And so right. we, as, as grief coaches are, are educated in grief and pet loss and just here to hold their hands through it. Now, as far as the difference between a grief coach and grief counselor, um, as grief coaches, like I said, we're here to walk them through the journey, hold their hands through it. But if there are things that are blocking that journey, um, that they might need somebody who has the licensure and training to help them, such as if somebody is is trying to cope with symptoms of mental illness. That's not to say we can't and won't help people who have mental illness, of course, but if they're in an acute episode, then they would be better supported by somebody who has that training and can help them walk through that. You know, right. same thing with trauma, trauma. If there is trauma that is coming up that is blocking somebody from being present with their grief, then as we are trauma informed, but it's they would be better supported. They would be in a better position to be with somebody who specializes in that and can yeah. help them differentiate the the trauma and and the grief and where they intertwine so that they can come back to right. the grief and, and be present with it. And especially if somebody is in crisis or having thoughts of self-harm, mm-hmm. um, that is out of our scope. And we want to acknowledge our limitations in being able to help. So in that case, right. we would refer them probably to a crisis hotline um, or yeah. something like that. So, you know, just, just those, those little differences of where there are some things where we want to recognize that, you know, there are some things that people deserve to have the help that they need to get through it. And we can't always provide every aspect of it. Right. Right. It takes a team. It takes a team. Yeah. With everything. Exactly. You can never have enough support. You can never have enough support. That's very true. So can we talk about some of the, the, the phases of grief that one might go through or one might expect to go through if there's such a thing? Yes. I'm so glad that you brought this up because I, I think that this is a misconception in grief. And, and mm. you know, I think that it comes from we all we've all heard or many of us have heard of the five stages of grief, you know, the, the denial, bargaining, depression, anger um, and acceptance. Mm. Right. We've all we've all heard of that. And and I tr- I don't like the expression phases of grief because mm. one, it insinuates that grief is linear. Right. Mm, and mm, grief mm. is anything but linear. It's messy. It's all over the yeah. place. And sometimes yeah. we may feel anger and then we may feel some bargaining and then we may feel anger again. Right. Yeah. We, we can come. Mm-hmm. We revisit a lot of our emotions that sometimes we thought we were done with. But, you know, our journey mm-hmm. takes us to revisit these emotions with a lived experience. And sometimes we're feeling some of these different things at once. Denial, anger, guilt all at once. Mm-hmm. And it's not just a phase, you know, so it's an entire experience and there is no, um, there, there is no roadmap, unfortunately, because everybody has Mm -hmm. a different journey. Everybody has a different map. Right. And so it's just allowing yourself to feel what you need to feel and knowing that 
you're, you may not feel that anger. You may not feel that guilt. You may not, you know, so there is no guarantee that you will or will not go through the preconceived phases of grief. Why do you think that we, you know, it may be individual, but is there a common reason people feel angry or a common reason people feel like guilty around the loss of a pet? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, of course, you know, everybody's different. I can't speak universally, but some of the most common things that I've found is with anger, especially is there's this sense of injustice, right? Mm -hmm. There's a sense of somebody that I love has been taken from me. Sure. And oftentimes soon. Yeah. Especially if it's too soon. Yes. And especially when I have done everything that I can to try to keep them here with me and try try to make sure that that they had a great life and that they were healthy and in this sense of injustice and, and something that has been taken from me, it goes back to our inner child. When we were children and something that we loved was just taken from us without explanation, what happened? We right. protested, right? <laughs> we, we, ha- we, we had sure a tantrum. Did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So it, it really goes back to that just, you know, inner child in us and that feeling of something that we love has been taken from us and it's not right. fair. It doesn't feel fair. And so that anger is, is valid. And it's important to remember that anger is often a secondary emotion. So if we dig a little mm-hmm. bit deeper, usually there's something underneath it. It could be fear of loneliness. It could be loneliness mm-hmm. itself. Um, it could be, you know, the sadness. And, mm-hmm. and so Anger is, it's important to validate it and important to dig a little bit deeper with it mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. And then as far as guilt goes, I think that probably the biggest reason why we feel guilt in pet loss, and I will say guilt is really the rule and not the exception when it comes to pet mm-hmm. loss, um, grief okay. in general, but especially pet loss. Um, I have so many people that ask me, is this normal? And I'm just like, yes, it it, it is okay. what you're feeling. And not that it makes it any easier, but it can be helpful to know that what you're experiencing is normal. Um, it's it's part say, of the process. Yeah. And and it, it means that you can probably, you will be able to get through it and work through that, right? Mm-hmm. Guilt is a way for us to have some control, to feel like we have some control over the situation or that we had control. Sense. Yeah. Because nothing makes us feel more out of control than death, right? Right. When when somebody has died, nothing we can do about it. Yeah. Nothing we can do. We can't change their diet. We can't. We can't get the right. We can't do any of that. It's it's done. We Mm -hmm. can't change it. And as as human beings, our psyche doesn't like that. Our psyche wants to feel like we have control over our lives. That there is an order to things. That if we do this, then this will happen you know, and, and, and so that is really difficult for us to grapple with. So the guilt oftentimes is finding ways that we could have had control where if I would have just done this, then this wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's ways of, of ha- taking control, getting that sense of control over the situation a little bit. Um, that's one of the, the main reasons, but added on to that is our extreme sense of responsibility that we have for our right. pets. Right. right. We're, we're responsible for every aspect of their lives and we do the best that we can with the information that we have at the time and our abilities to do sure. so. Um, but ultimately 
there's a hundred percent death rate amongst living beings. That's it. Yeah. Right. It's pretty much guaranteed. And so I think as it's far so as important. we know, as far as we know, right. Yeah. Let me know if, if we find the secret okay. fountain of youth, I'm ready for it. Um, okay. But as, as I just think it's so important to remember, especially when we're feeling that guilt is that death is not a failure. Right. Right. You did not fail your pet. Death is part of this natural life cycle. And sometimes our loved ones are taken from us sooner than we want to, Mm -hmm. but death is not a failure. And it's important to remember that your pet dying does not mean you failed them in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the guilt, and I don't know, but I can imagine is, is that we have to make some tough choices when it comes to the end of life, you know, for my conversation with Dr. Nick, you know, making tough choices on, you know, what kind of care they should have or when, you know, when they should be, when you might have to choose euthanasia. Because I think very few people, you know, dogs pass away peacefully on their own. They're, you know, they're really Mm -hmm. lucky if they have a dog that lives to, you know, old age and then he just, you know, when it's his time, it's his time. You know, a lot of times people have to make those really hard end of life choices. And I can imagine it's just like a complex emotions that go with that. Do you want to touch on that a bit? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I'm so glad that you brought this up um, and that you got the chance to talk about it with Dr. Nick. Um, Euthanasia is just the the grand slam of guilt, really. And, And it doesn't matter when we did it, if we, if we did it, you know, too soon or, or, or too late, like we're, we're always going to feel that way. And, you know, it, it's, it's this thing of with humans, usually if usually we don't make that decision for them. Right. And if we do, right. oftentimes we've had the opportunity to talk to them about what they would want. Right. Yeah. Because humans have a sense of mortality. Our animals don't. They don't have that sense of, of mortality to have those, you know, kind of conversations. Also, they don't speak English, so that doesn't right. help either. <laughs> um, and, and so that, that, fee, that, that decision, it, it's a hard decision to make. And what I will say is that it, it's going to feel too soon, oftentimes until it feels too late. And there's guilt associated mm-hmm. with both sides of that. Um, and, and just to, to recognize that, 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 that is part of the grieving process is having, is questioning. The questioning is a big part of it. Um, but the way that I see it, me personally, my belief is that we are responsible, like we were saying for every single aspect of our pets' lives, every single thing. And it makes sense to me that, it is part of our responsibility if we're able to, to mm-hmm. offer them a peaceful transition, yes. to offer yeah. them a transition surrounded by love, you know, mm-hmm. in, in hearing our voices last. Now we can't always do that because life is what happens right. when we're busy making plans. Right. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, is that not some many pets pass naturally and that's okay. That's a very personal choice. But not all pets pass peacefully, naturally. You know, that's that's the right. hope. Right. Um, yes. That's the hope, yes. but it, it doesn't very always happen point. that yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so 
Um, I think that it's just so important if your pet is geriatric or terminally ill to mm-hmm. just try to have a plan, you know, and, and have an idea of, of what you want to do and how you want to say goodbye so that mm-hmm. as, as time passes on, you can have those conversations with yourself that are really mm-hmm. difficult to have. Um, mm-hmm. So in anticipatory grief, it can actually relieve some of that anxiety, although it seems counterproductive, right? Because we just don't want to think about it. Right. But it can right. actually relieve some of that anxiety to have a plan of, you know, th- this is when I'm going to say goodbye when this happens. I have, I'm going to call lap of love and do it at home, or I'm going to do it at my bed or however. Mm-hmm. When does, I was going to ask you about anticipatory grief, because I've been reading a little bit about it. And I, I've read it, that it can just start even when you see the signs of your dog aging, you know, mm-hmm. because you're, you're starting to realize, you know, that time is moving on. Um, and what are some of the what are some of the things to look for, I guess, in anticipatory grief? Or what are some of the things that we might be able to identify those as some of the feelings that we're having? Yeah. Yeah. It it really can happen. It can happen the moment that you realize that you have this beautiful little creature and that they're going to die. <laughs> I One of my colleagues yeah. told me the other day that the moment they adopted their pet, they started feeling that, you know, it, it really yeah. can happen. Like knowing um, that it's anytime. not going to last forever. Right. Right. The right. Physical, the physical aspect, the love will last forever. But. The love will be there forever. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that's why I always say the grief is going to be there too forever. Um, mm-hmm. It evolves mm-hmm. and it becomes part of our story, but the love that we grieve in direct correlation to how much we love. Um, so, and the love is there forever. Um, yeah. But I digress. As far as anticipatory grief goes, one really common aspect of it, like I mentioned, is that anxiety of just yeah. of living in the future and having a hard time just being present with your pet and, and enjoying today. Mm. Um, so that's really common. The fear, there's a lot of fear of what is life going to look like without them here? You know, sure. they, they, cause they play, they're like an anchor in our lives and there's so 100%. much that. Yes. And all of the changes, right. That we go through and all of the, the relationships, the, the new jobs, the moves, the, the loved yeah. ones passing away, our illnesses. And, and the one thing that we could rely on, it was a constant support and it's like an anchor. And the yeah. idea of what is life going to look like without this anchor is scary, right? Yeah. It's scary to think about. Very scary. Um, so those are some really common things. Sadness, of course, just being sad and, and recognizing it. Um, and anticipatory grief is, is so normal. I think it just helps just to have a name for it, just to know that what you're feeling, it's a thing, right? It's, it's a thing. It's, it's yeah. A, yeah. Yeah. You're not it's alone. A thing. Yeah. I think that's a lot of, I think, what I would assume people, you know, what some of the most beneficial things that you can give people is just the the knowledge that they are, what they are dealing with and what they're going through is normal. And it is, they are not alone in their, their, their individual experiences. It's, is individual to them, but they're not alone in like the collective way of, of grief and how people, you know, navigate through life during those times. So 
That's great. So in a, in alignment with talking about how you you just mentioned how they're an everyday part of our life and they're, you know, they go through with relationships and our daily life and all of those things. Like what about like is there a, are there things that we could do like let's say after a after your pet passes, you know, your daily routine changes, right? Like, you know, I mean, I know my mm-hmm. whole day is kind of <laughs> navigates around like his walks and his feeding schedule and all the things and all the things I know, yeah. you know, that he needs and and stuff. Um, should we, um, are there things that can ease that kind of like shocking transition or, or that loneliness that might come up during those times, you know, when you wake up and you realize like, I don't have... I mean, some people might be elated that they don't have to go walk their dog, <laughs> but you know, just you know, some of those 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 moments that probably it, it may hurt the most when you have you know those moments that come and go, right? So yeah, does that yeah. make sense? And you know, I yeah. want to comment on some people may be elated they may not have to walk their dog because caretaker burnout yes. is real. Yes, and I'm speaking from a, a I'm I'm a state a hospice. Yeah statistic or fact um, for humans, but I think it counts for for pets as well as caretakers is the most common feeling that we have after being long-term caretakers for a sick loved one is relief. And that's okay. Um, It's it's important that people know like, that's okay. You know, like it's okay that like you're you're enjoying a, a, t- a moment right. to breathe, you know, and that you don't have to wake up every four hours for medication. That doesn't mean that you wouldn't do it all over again or yes. do it again if they were here, but it's okay to live in the reality that you get a break, that you get some relief from that yeah. caretaking. Um, it doesn't take away from how much you love them. So I really wanted to just. No, that's really that. important because yes, I know that my, absolutely. you know, if I can share a quick story and I don't know if she'll let me share it on the podcast, but my yes. sister just had to, just had to euthanize her dog. He was 15 and a half. He was a wonderful family companion. He's the best boy and he lived a long, great life. But those last, you know, that those last, I would say even a little bit more than six months were just really really, really hard because everything revolved around, you know, again, like getting getting up like several times in the middle of the night, making sure he was okay. And you had, you know, this issue and that issue and not getting sleep and worry. And, and I think part of the, also knowing that he was peacefully, you know, he, he left peacefully, but, Mm -hmm. but I think there is a sense of relief that, cause I, I could see it. It was the weight of that was just really heavy on her, you know, and, and, and worrying about making mm-hmm. the right choices and all of the things. And, and once that finally, once the moment finally passed and leading up to it, she was able to take, you know, a breath and do some things for her that, you know, make her feel better. And um, it doesn't make the grief go away. She's still very, very, it's very sad, but she's able to go for a walk. You know, she couldn't right, go for a normal right. walk. He required a lot of care. Yeah. It doesn't make the grief go away and, and nor should it, you know, I, I think that it's an honor to be in grief um, as yeah. crazy as that sounds, but to have loved that much and it, it's a universal human experience. And, and so um, it doesn't take away from the grief, but I always say, you know, when you've been a caretaker and your loved one has passed, the baton gets handed over and it's your turn to put the same time, affection, energy, and love into caretaking your, for yourself, 
Yeah. That you did your loved one. Yeah. Right. It's so important to to do that. It's really Um, important. But as far, yeah. And as far as preparing, you know, when you're in that anticipatory grief for that time when they're not going to be here, first and foremost, I want to say, I don't think we're ever really prepared. Right. Um, right. It can be it can be helpful to to know to be able to say your goodbyes. It can be yeah. so helpful to be able to do that rather than a sudden death, which does impact the grief journey and the grief reaction. Um, but but just know that it's it's going to be hard, mm-hmm. but we can do hard things. Right. 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 Um, but the things that I really recommend doing in anticipatory grief is is one just being present every day with them Mm -hmm. and spending a little bit of time. And it's hard to do all the time because we have to think about the future sometimes, but 10 minutes a day, just, you know, set your alarm or set your timer, snuggle with them, feel their fur, smell their stinky breath, (laughs) you know, just, you know, 10 minutes a day of that quality time Mm -hmm. and just being there in the moment, asking yourself, is my head where my feet are at right now? You know, Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of how you can bring yourself back. Um, and one thing I also, oh, oh hi there. I That's somebody okay. came home. Yeah. <laughs> I think somebody's coming home. It's appropriate. What kind of dog um, do you have? I have two older guys. They're mutts. They're yeah. 11 and 12. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, so they're getting up there. So, I mean, every day is a gift, you know, yeah. and I just, I, I never know when I'm, when it's going to be. So I'm just happy to spend every day with them. Let me just uh, yeah. put him in the other room real quick. <laughs> hey popper what's up you guys okay <laughs> they're like what we were just barking i thought somebody was coming home all right we good okay all right i think they're good they're just Barking at the neighbors. <laughs> As one does when you're a dog. As one uh, does. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. So, okay. I was talking about being present. And then one thing that I think is um, really helpful is writing. Mm. Um, what writing does is it makes us slow down. And it makes, we have to organize our thoughts because all of those thoughts and feelings are jumbled up. They're, they're not linear in our heads, but when we write, we have to make them linear. We have to organize them and articulate it and putting words to our experience is one of those other ways to have a little bit of a sense of control Mm -hmm. over what we're going through and experiencing. So journaling can be helpful. And if you're not into journaling, then I would just say, try this exercise, which is writing a series of three letters, right? And the first letter is a letter to your pet. And this can be done before they pass or after they pass, really either one. Writing a letter to your pet. And if it's before they pass, write about your five things. So the five things are, I love you for, I thank you for, I'm sorry for, Mm. please forgive me for, and it's okay to go. I love that. So let it be a love letter to them. You know, talk about your favorite memories, the things that you've learned from them Mm -hmm. and let that sit for a while. And when you're ready, the second letter is going to be a response letter. It's going to be a letter from your pet to yourself, right? With 
everything that you know that they would say with, with all of the love and forgiveness and encouragement and sometimes sassiness that, (laughs) that they would say to you, right. In response, what, what would they say to you um, to to support you during this time? And then let that sit a little bit. And then the third letter is going to be a letter from you to you. Mm. And this third letter is going to be a letter of, self-compassion of allowing yourself to be human, Mm -hmm. acknowledging that nobody has a crystal ball, reminding yourself that you did the best that you could and reminding yourself of the lessons that you're going to take moving forward that your loved one taught you Mm -hmm. a letter of forgiveness oftentimes. So writing those three letters can be really helpful in just helping us have a sense of goodbye Right. Before we say goodbye or a sense of closure after we say goodbye. Right. That's a fantastic idea. I feel like a lot of times people like apologize for the grief that they're feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's something that I catch a lot of people doing uh, if they're feeling emotional or they feel like they need to kind of like, you know, suck it up. Yeah. So, you know, one of the most common things that happens in our support groups is somebody will be telling their story and Mm -hmm. they start crying. What's the first Mm -hmm. thing they do? They apologize. Right. They apologize to us for those tears. And that's why I say I have one big rule in my groups and that is no apologizing for your tears. Mm-hmm. Right, because your loved one is worth every single tear. But we grow up in a society that, you know, there was a study that was done that showed that by teenage years, kids are are sent thousands of messages that tell them that they should experience pain and hurt and negative emotions alone. Mm-hmm. And we are brought up to think that our negative or not, I don't want to say negative because emotions aren't positive or negative. They just are, are harder emotions are a burden on others. And I think that it's important to remember that if you find safe spaces, because not every space, not every person is a safe place to, to share those feelings with, but you know, it's important to find those safe spaces and know that you are not a burden. Your grief is not a burden and it deserves to be validated. It is mm-hmm. valid. It hurts. And it's mm-hmm. okay that it hurts. You don't have to be okay all the time. It's I don't think that anybody is okay all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And and it's mm-hmm. it's okay to to be human. It's part of the human experience to have those those times in our lives where everything changes and we have to figure yeah. out where to go from here. Um, and yep. it's confusing and it's sad and it's hard. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, just f- feel what you need to feel unapologetically and unabashedly. Yeah. That's, that's really what it is. And that's not always easy to do. Um, but if you can, so, if you can remind yourself to be unapologetic about your feelings, I think that mm-hmm. that will provide you uh, some catharsis and mm-hmm. a sense of empowerment in your grief experience. Right. And I think part of the key of what you said is having at least one person who can be really that supportive, 
that supportive right. presence in your life or who you know makes you feel like it's okay to be you and it's okay to have these emotions. And part of that is what you do with your groups. Are these groups like mm-hmm. open? Do you just have to to anyone or are they specific to where you are or are they are they there are they yeah. on the web are they virtual or are they in person? So all of our groups are virtual. Um, oh. they're all over Zoom. And all of our groups are free. We do have some paid services, like the one-on-ones and our workshop that we offer. Uh Um, But Uh all of our groups are free. And all you have to do is go on our website, lapoflove.com, go to Pet Loss Support and register for a group. We offer them almost every, most weeks, we offer them every day of the week. Sometimes we're not able to um, if things come up, but um, anybody can join. We also have an anticipatory grief group. Um, so people who are feeling that anticipatory grief group, I host that group on Thursdays. So we offer that once a week and we also offer a group, uh, for behavioral euthanasia and people who had to make that difficult decision. Mm. Um, so yeah, we, we just behavioral euthanasia. Cause that's a really, can we touch on that really briefly? Cause that's a really tough one. What is behavioral euthanasia for people who may not know? So behavioral euthanasia is when a family or pet parent has to make the decision to euthanize their pet due to severe behavior issues such Mm -hmm. as aggression or severe Mm -hmm. anxiety um, where their quality of life is being impacted um, and the family's quality of life is being impacted. And Oftentimes, it can be the kindest decision for the pet, especially if they're unable to be rehomed, um, you know, and or if rehoming, they're just going to get go from home to home to home. It's going to cause instability and fear Mm -hmm. in their life. Mm -hmm. And so it can be the kindest decision because mental illness exists in animals as well. But you want to talk about guilt. That's the granddaddy of guilt right there. People who make that decision do not make it lightly. They don't. I would assume that some of the emotions around choosing behavioral euthanasia would be um, judgment from others, feeling like you may be somehow you failed in some form or another because you couldn't fix it or, or help the, or feel a bit yes. helpless, mm-hmm. even though people who, who end up choosing behavioral euthanasia have often tried as many things as they could possibly do to get to that point. You know, they've worked with trainers, they've worked with behavioralists, they've tried rehoming or worked with rescues or, or you know, all of the things. And, and it, it's not something that someone takes lightly, for sure. Yeah, there, there's... Um, yeah. Guilt, like you said, is a big one. And the feeling yeah. of that they failed their pet is a big one as well, even if they did absolutely everything that they could to help them get through this. Um, and there's definitely the risk of judgment from other people who yeah. don't understand your story and who have never been in that position before. To be afraid of your own animal is, is really scary. To have a pet that has hurt people that you love and care about, it leaves you with a very difficult decision. And, you know, sometimes some people don't want to wait until something catastrophic happens and then their hand is forced to euthanize. 
right? Because because that can happen if something catastrophic does. And then happen. there's the that's guilt associated with something catastrophic um, happening, and, so, and you know you maybe you didn't make the decision soon enough. Exactly. You were on the fence, or what? All the things. It's just all so complicated. Yeah, that there's a lot of really confusing emotions that go on with behavioral euthanasia, and just having a safe place to kind of talk out yeah. those words because sometimes when we say things out loud we we allow those thoughts to kind of click in our own heads or somebody else does the words that right. you had been looking right. for can be really helpful as so well that you guys have that is there a limit on how many people are in each of your groups or yeah so it, it depends on the group the anticipatory grief group tends to be a little bit smaller and so there's a little bit more engagement that we can do which i like usually i don't think i've ever had more than 10 people um okay, that's great but yeah, the, the support groups that we have every day, it ranges from the time of day. The weekend groups tend to be a little bit fuller, um, mm-hmm. but it can be anywhere between 15 to like 25 people. Mm-hmm. And typically not everybody shares. A lot of people come just to listen. I was going to ask, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people come just to listen and that's okay. Some people never even turn their camera on. That's absolutely I was okay. also so, going to ask that. Do you have to turn your camera on? Nope. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. whatever feels right to you, whatever feels yeah. right to you. And even if you want to share and keep your camera off, that's mm-hmm. okay too. Or if you want to share in the chat, some people share their story in their chat and they're not ready to, to speak, you know, and um, mm-hmm. there's people who come for three months and they're finally ready to share their story. So yeah. There, yeah. there's whatever like helps you feel supported yeah. and whatever you feel like you're ready to do. Um, you know, I always say, don't let anybody dictate your grief to you. This is your grief journey. Your heart knows what it needs. And it's important that you honor that. Right. Thank you so much. Um, I so appreciate you coming on here. Even just talking to you has kind of helped me. Um, and I might pop on one of those, those anticipatory grief as long as I know that I don't have to turn my camera on, <laughs> I have to pop on one of those and listen and listen to people sharing their stories. And I think it would be really helpful. So thank you so much for just having me on to talk about this subject that I'm clearly passionate about. And I'm always here if you ever want to talk again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Baru podcast. If you're interested in learning more about the wonderful pet loss support groups that Lap of Love and Christiana offer, you can check out lapoflove.com. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to rate and follow the Brew Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at Brew Podcast. And if you have a story of canine companionship that you'd like to share with me or a question or even a comment, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me, charlotte, at thebrew.com. All right, you guys, let's chat next week.